If you would open your Bibles to John 16. As you're opening there, let me begin with this powerful statement. If you own a white Mazda (laughs) SUV with a Louisiana tag, you're blocking somebody's driveway. Uh, We're just going to keep looking at our Bibles. We're not going to look up, see who leaves to move their car. Um, But if you would move that, that would be fantastic. I also have a license tag, but I won't embarrass you too much. So white Mazda SUV, Louisiana tag. I want to thank uh, many of you who prayed for my wife and I this past week. We were part of the Sojourn Conference for Lead Pastors, and we, we spent a week meeting with other pastors and church planters. Our church is part of the Sojourn Network, um, and it was great. I got to meet with seven different church planters this past week um, that our church is sponsoring. Um, and it was just such an encouraging time to go through the, the highs and the lows of this past year with them. And it's pretty incredible to see what the Lord is doing um, across this country uh, with other churches very similar to Redeemer being planted all around. And I just left with a great appreciation and thankfulness that we get to be a part of that network. So thank you, those who were praying for Lauren and I during that time. So John 16, we'll begin reading in verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father, we ask that in this moment you would send your helper and that he would indeed come and glorify Jesus in our midst, that he would make Jesus' presence real to us, real to us through the words that we hear, the scripture we read, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray. Jesus, this service this evening is all about you. We are gathered for no other reason. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. 
But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we looked at the ascension of Jesus, how 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he is now currently reigning. Now, we didn't talk about it much last week, but um, it's kind of fun to imagine what those 40 days would have been like with the disciples hanging out with the risen Jesus. I mean, 41 days before the ascension, they were frightened, they were defeated, they were scattered all about. But then 40 days ago, everything changed. And they had Jesus by their side, and Jesus, he was there, and they were eating with him. He was teaching them. They were, they were just watching him breathe. He was very much alive. And now that they had Jesus with him, they thought, certainly, it's time for us to, uh, to begin the real mission. It's time for us to bring about the kingdom. After all, with Jesus resurrected and with him victorious by their side, it was time to take on the world. And so the disciples, they said to Jesus, you find this in Luke, they said, is it now time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? Isn't it time for this? But then, then to their great astonishment, Jesus left. And he's been preparing them for this all along, over and over again, he has reminded them, I am leaving, I am leaving. But then when it actually happens, it still took them off guard. The disciples did not expect Jesus to leave. You don't ask somebody, now are you going to establish the kingdom if you expect them to take off and leave? But he did leave. He left in front of their very eyes. He ascended to the Father. And as they watched him go, and they couldn't really believe what was happening this loneliness and this sorrow creeped in. They thought, this, this isn't how the story is supposed to go. I mean, we've got the resurrected Jesus with us now. I mean, it's Jesus with his new body, and he can like walk through walls. He can, he can appear in one place and then disappear and appear in another. He's, he's like the ninja Jesus, you know? We're ready to go to battle we're ready to go to Pilate and teach him a lesson. We're ready to go to the Pharisees and tell them all the ways that they were wrong. And with Jesus at our side, victory is assured. That's what they had in mind, but then Jesus leaves. To make things a little more confusing, just one chapter earlier, in John 15, Jesus said these words. He goes, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you could do nothing. Apart from me, you can have no joy. You can have no purpose. There's no meaning in your life. Apart from me, you cannot bear any fruit. Apart from me, you can't have any life. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Now I'm leaving you. I mean, hold those two statements together. Apart from me, you could do nothing. And now I am leaving you. Now, you can certainly understand why the disciples at this point were astonished and they were filled with despair. John 16, 7, Jesus tells them why he's leaving. 
says, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said that it was for their good, for our good, that he goes away. Now, I think if, if we're all honest here, we would all have to admit that there are at least times that we struggle with this. Many of us would confess, just like the disciples here, that we have a hard time believing Jesus when he says it's better that he would leave us. I mean, how many of you at times have wished you could have Jesus physically present right next to you? I mean, wouldn't that be great? I went to the University of Georgia and I took a lot of Bible classes. Georgia is known for its solid evangelical scholarship, in case you didn't know. And, uh, and so I, I took a lot of classes. One of my classes, I kid you not, was from a Dr. Godless. That was actually his name, Dr. Godless. And, uh, and uh, most of my professors just took great delight in pretty much tearing the Bible to shreds. Just tearing it to shreds and saying, Jesus, he really didn't do this. Jesus, he really didn't say this. You can't, you can't believe this story here. Now, how great would it have been if, if my, my professor, maybe Professor Godless, as he was saying, you know, Jesus really didn't do this miracle. Jesus really didn't teach this for Jesus to go, um, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> Actually, I did. I did. To, to have Jesus physically present to rebuke Dr. Godless, I would have paid an enormous amount of money to have watched that happen. What about when you're with one of your friends who doesn't know the Lord and you're trying to share the gospel with them? Maybe it's a coworker. Wouldn't it be nice actually say, you know, if to, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's Sally, and you're like, hey, Sally, I'd like you to meet Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Sally, y'all talk. You know, it would just, it'd be so, evangelism would be so much easier if there was actually the physically present Jesus who was with us. What about when you're going through a time of grief and sorrow? Wouldn't it be nice to have Jesus there physically holding you as you hurt? Jesus would make an incredible prayer partner. You just basically go and get coffee. You just kind of get coffee and you talk to one another. It's prayer right there. I've thought, first I thought he would make a good accountability partner. Then I just thought that'd be terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> Every time, Jesus, you struggle with anything this week. No? Okay, well. <laughs> so, so as you're just thinking through these scenarios, as I am at least, I'm thinking, how exactly is it for my good that Jesus is not physically with me? When you read through commentaries, they're very quick to point out that, of course, one of the benefits of Jesus going away and sending his spirit is that when Jesus was just here physically, he was limited by his physical body. When he was in Nazareth, he couldn't be in Jerusalem. And when he was in Jerusalem, of course, he couldn't be in Nazareth. And so there were limitations to actually the ministry he could do. Um, I, I started thinking some about this and trying to do the math. And, uh, and so if we all wanted to spend just a little personal time with, with Jesus in the flesh, 
Um, there's two billion Christians, professed Christians in the world. I'm going to just cut that in half, just cut it in half. That's probably a more realistic number. A billion Christians in the world. And if each one of us were to just get one minute with Jesus, just one minute sitting across from Jesus, maybe having coffee, you would get to meet with Jesus once every 1,900 years. Once every 1,900 years for one minute. Can you think of the pressure, like that one minute too? Like the, the questions you gotta ask, you gotta cram in there, and, and Jesus gives very slow responses. He'd probably answer whatever question you had with, well, there was a vineyard, and two people lived in it, and, and, and he would just, you know, he would never get to the end, and he'd say, I'll tell you again, 1,900 years. But yes, there's definitely limitations to the physical Jesus here. And so, so of course, that's one of the reasons. But there's, there's more. There's more. Let's read verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When Jesus tells his disciples he's going away, he says he's going to send in his, in his replacement, as his replacement, the helper. The helper. You might have a different version of this um, in your Bible. And the actual Greek word is paraclete, and it's a hard word to translate. And so sometimes the translators just use the word paraclete. Um, others might use the words counselor or comforter or the advocate. It's really, in Greek, it's a combination of two words. It's the word para, which means to come alongside of, and kaleo, which means to call someone to truth or to exhort. And so this is, uh, it's, it's to come alongside of somebody and to call them to truth. That's the paraclete. It's actually a combination of of what I would call a, a soft term and a hard term. The soft term is para, which is to come alongside of. This is the soothing, comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. And then kaleo is the hard term. It's the speaking truth into someone's life even when they don't want to hear it. And so the Holy Spirit, who is the paraclete, he's the one who comes alongside us, but he doesn't just soothe us. He speaks hard truth into our life, and he presses it in. He exhorts us to believe this, to believe who he is. Sometimes it's painful truth. This is why some of your translations prefer the word counselor, because this is what a counselor does. A counselor comes and and a counselor soothes you and comforts you, but then a counselor is going to ask you hard questions, is going to push truth into you, going to tell you things that you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. That's what a counselor does. A counselor is going to confront you in order to change you. And this is exactly what the disciples need. It's what we need. Despite these disciples being with Jesus for three years, hearing him teach, seeing him do all the miracles, you know, calm a hurricane, feed 5,000, walk on water, raise people from the dead. These disciples still didn't get it. 
The, the truth about who Jesus is never really penetrated their inner being. So they needed the spirit of God to come alongside them and press that truth into them to make the presence of Jesus real in their life. Otherwise, they would be no different. This is why Jesus says that it would be far good to go away. You, you know, we need to remove that modern thought that we have that says, you know, if only I'd been there. You know, if only I'd seen the miracles that Jesus saw. If only I actually watched him raise Lazarus from the dead and I heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount. If only I was there, then I would really believe. That is completely false. That is completely false. The disciples prove that. Believing is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit coming alongside us and pressing in the truth of who Jesus is. Unless he opens our hearts, unless he opens our minds, we, we simply cannot understand. This is why Jesus says it's for his good that he goes away. He's going to send the counselor to make his presence real to us. In verse 14, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify him. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about the word glory, which literally means weighty, heavy, solid. Glory is something that has substance. So when Jesus says that the Spirit will glorify him, he is saying that the Spirit will make Jesus real to us, substantial to us. That's the purpose of the Spirit, to, to make us believe in Jesus by making him real to us. All you have to do is look at Pentecost to understand how this happens, to see this happening. Because what really happened at Pentecost? I mean, really, what happened? What, what happened to Peter? Did he gain any new knowledge? And that's what set him on fire? to go out and preach? Was it new knowledge? Did he hear a new sermon? Did somebody give him a new book? Say, you know, here, read Tim Keller's Reason for God. And you know, Peter's thumbing through. He's like, it makes sense. And that was the last ingredient he needed. There, there's, no, there's no new information that comes Peter's way. What happened was the Spirit of God came, came alongside him and convicted him and showed him that Jesus is absolutely real. He is absolutely real. And at that moment, Jesus had far more substance than the world did. Jesus was far more solid than any threat the world could throw out of him. Jesus became glorified to him. That's what you see at Pentecost. Can I just say that more than any other thing that we need in our life right now is for the Spirit of God to make Jesus real to us. We've been going through the life of Jesus through the Gospel of John for a while, so there's many of you who have been hearing the stories of Jesus, been hearing the teachings of Jesus, but the question is, has Jesus become real to you? Do you actually hear Jesus calling you? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people 
after a service and they've come up to me and um, literally they, they, they got saved at the service. They have come to know the Lord during this time and, and I'm talking with them and they're like, this is, this is amazing. How, how come I never heard this before? How come I never heard the gospel before? I grew up in church my entire life, Sunday after Sunday, but how come I never heard this before? And I tell them, you, usually... You did hear this. I'm sure if you went to church your whole life, you probably heard it over and over and over again. But this is the first time that the Spirit came alongside you and pressed the truth into you and made the presence of Jesus known. When when you hear the same thing over and over and over, the sermon a thousand times, but this one time it just clicks, that's the Spirit's work. You see that in the book of Acts. At Pentecost, when Peter runs out and he's preaching, and it says that after he said that Jesus is Lord and he is Christ, it says, and they were cut to the heart. That's what the Spirit's doing. Cutting these people to the heart, opening up their heart to now receive this truth about who Jesus is. This is what we need in our life for Jesus to be absolutely real to us. Jesus further explains the role and the mission of the Spirit, verses 8 through 11. Read those with me. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is not only sending his disciples on a mission, he is sending his Holy Spirit on a mission as well. And the mission of the Holy Spirit is to bring about real change, not only in the disciples, but to actually bring about change in the world. This is one of the very few places in Scripture that we see the Spirit's role outside of the church. What is the Holy Spirit doing outside of the church? And his role is to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. This this word convict here, it's a legal term, which means to point out the error in someone, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is in error, that they are wrong. And so what Jesus is saying here, if you really want to simplify this, is through the Holy Spirit, he's going to show the world what is wrong and what is right and who wins. What is wrong, what is right, and who wins. Let's look at those three things. What is wrong? The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. Verse 9 says this, says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. It's very important to, to hear Jesus at this, because I think if I were to just hand you a blank sheet of paper, hand the world a blank sheet of paper, and say, y'all just make a list of sins, there would probably be some overlap. Our, ours would probably be a little different than theirs, but there would be a, a lot of sins out there listed on these sheets of paper. But Jesus is saying, the sin The sin that is underneath all of these sins is unbelief. It's that the world doesn't believe who I am. 
That's the sin that in which all other sins flow from. Unbelief. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict people to show them that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. And we should listen to him. What is right? The Holy Spirit is to convict us about what is right. Look at verse 10. It says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What? It's kind of an odd, odd phrase there. He's going to convict us concerning righteousness because he's going to the Father and we see him no more. And I believe what Jesus is saying here when he says, I'm going to convict you of, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you're not going to see me anymore. How is Jesus going to the Father? Well, he's going to the Father through his death and his resurrection, his ascension. What he is saying is the gospel. I will convict the world concerning righteousness, which is the gospel and my ascension here. So if you were to hand out a blank sheet of paper to the world and you were to say, tell me what is right. Tell me what is righteousness. They would probably give a bunch of, you know, they would list a bunch of things. If you were to ask them, how can you become righteous? They would list all these good moral things. And Jesus says that's the world's righteousness. My righteousness is this. You believe in my death, my burial, my resurrection, and my ascension. It's not what you do, it's what I'm going to do, or now it's what he has done. And when he says, you will see me no more, that's, also, that's talking about his ascension, but it's also talking about how we have to believe these things by faith. We are trusting in the work of Jesus for our righteousness, and not in what we are doing. Now let's look at who won, or concerning judgment. Look at verse 11 concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus says here that the spirit of God will convict us or convince us that the evil in this world is judged. That although it seems like Satan is winning in this world, he is not. He has been dealt the decisive blow at Calvary. And Jesus has won and he is reigning. We're in the period of cleanup duty right now. That's the age in which the church lives in. But the victory of Jesus is assured. Now the question is, how does the Holy Spirit convict the world of these things? And, and I really want us to think about this because I think the church makes a major mistake and thinking how the Spirit, how the Spirit convicts the world concerning these things. Because we kind of think that the Spirit of God, He's just out there and He's just going to do it. He's just, he's just out there and He is just left and right. He's just on His own. He is just convicting people. He's telling them of their sins. He's convincing them of who Jesus is. He's telling them about their false righteousness and to trust the gospel. We just kind of think that the Spirit of God is just doing this. But although this is the role of the Spirit outside of the church, you need to understand that he does this through the church. The Spirit of God does these things through the church. 
Acts, what we're celebrating at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down on these apostles and then they went out. And as they went out, Peter proclaimed these things. And when he proclaimed these truths, then the Spirit of God came and did his work and he convicted the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But we are to go and be on mission and we are to be proclaimers. Can I just say that's that's so much more than just inviting people to church. That is telling people about Jesus. I I still get calls and emails to this day. I hope this doesn't embarrass you. Um, Those of you who have done it, it's going to embarrass you, but it's just between us. I'll get these emails just saying, hey, um, I'm bringing um, bringing my neighbor to church this week. I, I have been working on my neighbor for years. They don't know the Lord at all. And so I'm bringing them. I was like, well, that's great. Uh, and they're like, and I was kind of hoping you could maybe do a little, you know, uh, if you could kind of land the plane this week, you know, just, just, <laughs> just land the plane, <laughs> really bring home the gospel. And I'm always thinking, I, I think two things. One, do I not normally bring the gospel each week? <laughs> and then two, I was like, why aren't you landing the plane? You just said you've been building a relationship with this person for three years. You've been trying to get them to come to church for three years. How about telling them about Jesus for three years? Actually telling them the gospel. And not just bringing them here so the professional can take care of them. This is our job as the church. I remember when the tornadoes, they came through a few years ago, and and I can't remember which city... um, I went up to, to, to help with the aid there. I brought a few of my friends, some other pastors with me, and we were going to help out. And immediately when we got there, we were thrown in some line to kind of hand out food. Um, another church had organized this. And so we're handing out to all these, this food to people who've just lost their homes. And, uh, and we had to tape a, a business card on top of the food with the church's logo um, and with the church's service times on it. Uh, and we would give it to them and s- supposed to invite them to church. I got sick to my stomach. So I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. What these people need who have just lost their homes and been devastated is not to tell them about the service times that they could go to at the church. They need to be told that Jesus loves them. That's what they need. They need to hear the gospel that even though it looks like the world was just ripped out from underneath them, that there is a solid rock on which they could stand, and his name is Jesus. That's what they need to hear. They don't need to be just invited to church. Do not mistake evangelism with just inviting somebody to church. Trust that the Spirit of God, who is empowering you to boldly proclaim the gospel, he will be in them cutting open their heart, making them receptive to receive the gospel. That's what the Spirit of God does. Trust he is both working in you and he is working in them. And we are to go and we are to share. We are to proclaim his word. We are to pray for his spirit to move. This past week when I was at this conference um, with all these sojourn pastors, um, we're all talking about different strategies that we can use to you know, plant more churches, to reach the lost. Um, and you can begin just 
thinking through so many different operations and so many different method, methods that you kind of forget what's important. Um, I, I fall into this trap as a pastor of wishing that Jesus, at times, I wish this, that he would have sent something else other than his spirit. Because I found my, myself wishing and praying more often for things like a better facility. You know, I, that's great that you sent your spirit, but I would have really loved Jesus, actually, if you had sent a better facility, maybe with some parking and more than two toilets. That would, that would really be nice. And if we had a facility like that, watch out, Birmingham. Or maybe, you know, I'm thinking, instead of your spirit, it'd be nice to just send us a lot of cash. I mean, just send us a lot of money where we don't even have to worry about our budget in, anymore. And we could just fund tons of missions. That will reach the world. That will win people to you, Jesus. If I'm trying to be real honest, I could think this. I would rather of you, Lord, to have just sent maybe a greater gift of preaching. Make Make people enthralled with my words so where they really want to come in from all around town just to hear me speak. Then so many people I could win to the Lord. But what we need is the Holy Spirit to work. More than, what would, which would we miss more if we didn't have a facility or we didn't have the Holy Spirit show up? Which is more critical to the ministry of the church? And I have to realize as a pastor that the Holy Spirit can do more in one second than I can do a hundred years running as hard as I can with the best facility. He can convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment like that. And we talked about this at our, at our conference and the pastors, we decided, hey, let's just take a time out, forget teaching anymore. We just need to pray. And we just spent the evening just pleading the Lord, to send his spirit and basically to revive us. That's what Birmingham needs. That's what Avondale needs. It's just for the spirit of God to come and to open up hearts and to revive us in a way that we can never do on our own. And so what I want us to do as a church is to get down on our knees. I want us to gather together. I want us to pray. I want us to seek God to move among his people in this city. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take time to pray. Guys, you, you, know, you know the routine. You've been here long enough. We're going to break up in groups, 8, 10, whatever it is, and I want us to take time to pray that, that God would send his spirit, plead for his spirit to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Plead that the Lord would, even with the people here who have heard the gospel for so many years and yet Jesus has not become real to them, pray at this moment that the Spirit of God would make Jesus real. So take some time to pray, and then we will close in a bit.